the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD. And I'm coming at you on am860theanswer.com. And you can join me every Sunday, 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, by either going to the station's uh, website, which is am860theanswer.com, or you can go to my website, drbillradiomd.com, and you just click listen live or join me or whatever little button pops up that looks interesting. And here I am. And today, today's show is going to be a little bit of an oleo, a little bit of a hodgepodge, because there's a couple, three things I wanted to touch on that I thought were important. Of course, the Stand Your Ground has come back up with the recent parking lot shooting, and we'll talk about that. And then I also want to talk about Turkey and what's going on there and how they're being hurt by our embargoes and the cascade of events that's going to lead to social upheaval within that country, just as we're seeing it in Iran. But, you know, you've got to wonder, what is it people are worried about anywhere and everywhere all over the world in the United States? I mean, we all have common worries and concerns, and I doubt it's much different for the average working stiff in China than it is for us here. I mean, most people are worried about financial and political corruption. Are they being taken advantage of? Is their money being used appropriately or is it being misspent by politicos? And, of course, unemployment and making a living. I mean, this is a big deal because if we don't work and we don't get paid, we don't eat. At least that's been the mantra until the advent of socialism. And the socialists and communists said, well, we'll feed you even if you're not working. Of course, that didn't really come to pass very well since the Russians and the Chinese starved to death under communism. And of course, poverty and social inequity, this is something that people are concerned about. Crime and violence and health care. These are probably the five biggest worries that most folks have, and, and I certainly have those same worries. I, I tend to focus on those basics that that's important. It's important to have a sense of what is of value and what isn't. And of course that brings into play morals and values, but it also brings into play just the everyday getting through life uh, aspects like, do I have a job? Am I being taken advantage of by my leadership? Will I have health care? Can I afford the health care if I'm sick? All these things come into play. Well, you know, crime is 
another thing that is frontmost on most of our minds when we go out. We want to feel safe when we walk the street. We want to feel that we don't have to worry about somebody coming up and knocking us down or shooting us or robbing us. And, and these are all fair things to be concerned about. I know I am. And some people have dealt with this by carrying a, a gun, getting a, a license to carry a weapon, concealed carry permit. Other people by making sure they stay in safe areas. Of course, young males, they're more likely to go and test the water, so to speak. 99.9% don't get themselves into trouble, but a few do. And, you know, you got to wonder what's going on in people's heads when we see incidences like what happened in New York with this guy, Sabo, who was struck by the uh, coach of Wake Forest, assistant coach at Wake Forest, uh, and hit his head and died of brain injuries a couple of days later. The attacker was Jamil Jones. Now, the story, from what I understand, is that Sabo was drunk and he was trying to get an Uber and he was pounding on cars to try to get people to roll down their windows so he could see if they were the Uber driver. I guess he had called for an Uber. I don't know how accurate the story is, but I guess he pounded on Jamil Jones' car and Jones got out and decked him and then walked off. And he hit his head, had an interest brain bleed, and he died a couple days later. And the coroner in New York is ruling this a homicide, and the coach, Coach Jones, has been temporarily suspended uh, pending investigation. And so we, you know, we got to wonder about what it is that presents a threat to us, a physical criminal threat to us. Is a drunk guy pounding on the hood or knocking on our window, is this a, is this a substantial threat that we need to get out of our car for and uh, take a swing at the guy for, challenge him or whatever? We were at the Derby a few years ago, and the Kentucky Derby is in Louisville, and the, the uh, racetrack is jam-packed on Derby Day. I mean, there's at least 100,000 people, uh, maybe 150,000 people, including the infield. And then you have people all around. So you're talking about 150 to 200,000 people in the two or three mile radius of Churchill Downs. And you can't get directly to the front gate unless you're in a limo with a police escort. So you have to park way back and you have to walk up a certain ways and you have to walk back. So we were walking out after the races were over and we came up to a street corner. It's a busy intersection. There's cops all over the place. There's cops at each street corner and at the main entrances to the track, and they direct traffic around the, the area there. And there's this 20-something guy that's drunk, and he is giving this policeman who's trying to direct traffic a hard time. And the policeman keeps saying, you know, if you keep this up, I'm going to have to arrest you. And he's wanting to know where his buddies are, and he's lost, and he's wandering back and forth across the street. And, you know, he's touching the policeman, which you don't do. I mean, you don't touch the police. They got guns. If you touch them, it's assault. They can shoot you. I mean, it's just that simple. And that's similar to the stand the ground law in Florida. If you are in a disagreement with somebody, you can yell and scream all you want. You can call them whatever you want, but you can't touch them. Once you touch them or push them or shove them, 
that's an assault, and then they have a right to defend themselves. So the cop, who's staying pretty cool, keeps warning this guy. Well, I took the guy over to the corner and, you know, talked him down, and we sat down and, you know, man, I don't know what's wrong with this cop and why he's being this way to me. And, you know, I'm saying, dude, I, I feel you. I mean, you know, you, you got a tough thing here, but uh, maybe we ought to get you back to your buddies. And, you know, that, that cop's got a gun. If you touch him, he can pull it out and shoot you. So I think there's a way to handle things. And it took me about five or ten minutes. Of course, my wife was all upset. What are you wasting time on this guy for? I even offered to give him a ride in our, our cab when the cab came that we'd take him wherever he wanted to go. I don't think he knew where the hell he wanted to go. So it didn't really matter. He eventually wandered off down the street. And I'm sure the cop was grateful. He could go about his business. And a crisis was averted. We didn't have this guy get clunked on the head by the cop and end up in jail or in the hospital or dead. So there's ways of handling these things. So Sabo is knocking on car windows or pounding on hoods. Is that an assault? No, that is not an assault. So the coach is in the wrong here. He got out, challenged Zabo, from what we can see, decked him. And if you think that pushing somebody down or hitting somebody in the face and knocking them to the ground is not a life-threatening event or a potentially life-threatening event, then you need to take a look at this video. Because I know for a guy like me, and I'm not a youngster, although I'm pretty fit for my age, I know that if I hit my head pretty hard on the pavement and I'm taking aspirin like a lot of people my age do to prevent heart disease, I have an increased risk of bleeding in my brain. And it could be a life-threatening event. And so we see something that was relatively innocuous because the coach could have just driven right on by. He didn't have to stop and get out and challenge this, this guy who was drunk and up in New York City for a wedding, his sister's wedding. But he didn't. And so this is where stand your ground comes in. We saw a similar episode in a parking lot here in Florida a couple of weeks ago. And this was uh, ruled a self-defense by the stand your ground laws. And the stand your ground laws in Florida say that you can defend yourself if you're attacked by somebody with a pistol, even if they don't have a pistol or a rifle or whatever, you can stand your ground. You don't have to back down from somebody just because they're more aggressive than you or they are in some way taking advantage of you physically. You can do what you have to do to defend yourself and protect yourself. And although this guy that apparently pulled the pistol and shot had a history of some aggressive behavior, road rage, and so on and so forth. I don't think that there were any police reports from what I can see that uh, that actually showed him or have it, had him arrested for pulling his pistol and threatening people with it. And he had been accused of that and denied it. He said that in a road rage incident that he had not shown his gun to the teenagers who challenged him. And so when he was pushed down on the ground, and he was pushed pretty hard. I mean, he reeled back 10 to 15 feet. He pulled his gun and he shot the guy who pushed him. And the guy that pushed him was upset because the shooter was giving his girlfriend a hard time for parking in, uh, in a handicapped space. And I've had people give me a hard time even when I wasn't parked in the handicapped space. I got out at Home Depot 
and I had parked in the space next to the handicap and some guy was there who was handicapped and then there's my car and then on the other side there's another guy that's listening to it I assume it was one of his children or a friend to see if I would react violently so he could pull his pistol and shoot me and the guy was upset because there was a shopping cart between his car and my car and as we all know a lot of people just leave their shopping carts especially in that open area between a handicapped space and a regular space and the guy said are you going to leave that shopping cart there and I said no I'm going to put it back or I'll push it up into the into the median between the two sides of the parking lot but no I'm not going to leave it there because somebody could bump into it trying to get in and out of their handicap space and we don't want that we don't want to hurt anybody we don't want to interfere with anybody we just want to get the shopping cart out of the way well I mean this guy and his cohort who was on the other side of me had the potential of picking a fight with me and then taking a shot at me or coming out with a with a baseball bat or something else and so it's it's something that's very emotional for a few people and a lot of us are sick of seeing people who are not handicapped parking in these places and I understand that sentiment of saying something to somebody but you know what in this day and age you just don't know you just don't know what's going to happen you don't know who's going to come out of that car if you say something to them or put your hand on their car and take a swing at you and put you in a defensive position and whether you think it's justified or not in Florida if somebody touches you once they touch you all bets are off and you pull your pistol and you shoot and then you're in the middle of a mess you say well there's got to be something wrong with these guys that pull these pistols and shoots like and shoot like uh, Zimmerman when he shot Trayvon Martin and this guy in the parking lot and, you know I, I can't argue with that I cannot argue with that that that's true there are certainly psychological problems with people who feel the necessity to wave their their gun around and to let other people know that they're not going to be pushed around but there's also a deterrent aspect of that that sentiment so now people know all about this guy McLaughlin who was shot and killed in the parking lot and uh, his father's upset and he thinks it should be a civil rights case because apparently the guy that shot him was white Draca was a white guy and this you know the stand your ground laws they just don't uh, discriminate and nor should they as we saw with Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin and I see where Trayvon Martin's family is bringing the whole incident back up and I reported on that in depth a few years ago when that happened was at 2012 or 13 somewhere in there and I even looked at the coroner's report and it, it actually uh, corroborated Zimmerman's claim that Trayvon Martin was on top of him and was hitting him and he pulled his gun and shot the gunshot wound was the right distance with having someone on top of you Trayvon's hoodie was hanging forward so it caught a lot of the uh, a lot of the gunpowder but the shell entry still had the same uh, characteristics of a shell that had been shot eight to ten 
inches away, which would have been about the right distance for a man on top of you swinging at you. And as he goes back, he'll pull his chest back and you pull your gun and fire. So was Zimmerman wrong in getting out of his car? Well, yeah, I mean, morally, that was wrong. Ethically, it was stupid. I mean, it was impulsive. But that's the kind of guy Zimmerman is. And Trayvon, who was young and ignorant, didn't stop to think that maybe this guy's armed. And if, if we get into it, he might pull a pistol and shoot me. Trayvon's thinking, well, I can whip his ass. And he probably well could have, but it was evened up by the gun. And, and it was ruled a stand your ground situation. The whole thing unfolded in, in a, a really uh, wrong way. And that Zimmerman was told by the police when he reported this kid uh, he was on a neighborhood patrol. He reported this kid, Trayvon, wandering through their property, and the police said, don't get out of your car, and he got out anyway. So, you know, he invited the incident, but that is a moral, ethical, situational issue, and the law, as I've said before, and morality and ethics don't always coincide. The law's not there to make you sin or not sin or keep you from being a sinner. It's there to protect you and me from each other and to keep order in society. That's a big difference. So we've got this guy who's given this other guy's girlfriend a hard time for parking in a handicapped spot. And the other guy comes out and gives him a, a great big shove and knocks him back 10 or 15 feet. The guy was actually, uh, Draco was actually athletic enough that he didn't hit his head. He he reeled back and ended up on his butt with his hands behind him. And then he came out with a pistol and fired into McLaughlin's chest. And that was the end of the story. At the lunch table, Dr. Steve, one of the liberal guys, nice guy, good doctor, pain in the butt to talk to. He was saying, well, look, this guy, Draca, he was, he was a road rager and that was uncalled for and the stand your ground law is wrong. And, and a bunch of us said, you know, once you touch me, once you push me in anger, touch me in the, in the middle of a debate, then everything's off. All bets are off. You put your hands on me. That's assault. You put your hands on a policeman at the Derby when you're drunk. That's assault. You don't touch them. You keep your hands to yourself. I mean, this is a lesson that we have been taught since, Kindergarten, no touching Jimmy, Billy, don't hit Jimmy, don't push Jimmy, don't mess with Jimmy. And of course, it takes grade school and for some of us high school and for some of us even post high school to learn that we're not supposed to touch other people unless it's invited or it's a social situation or we're friends or we're lovers or we're family. But you can't put your hands on other people. And in Florida, that's been reinforced with this stand the ground, stand your ground law. Well, what do you think? Do you think that what Zabo did was, was wrong and that the coach was right in getting out and decking him? Or do you think that the incidents, incident here in Florida where one guy was pushed down and shot the guy who pushed him down. Do you think that's right or wrong? I mean, where do you stand on this issue? I'm at 
800-826-8600. Give me a call and let's let's hear what you have to say and weigh in on this. Because I want to know what people think. I mean, I, I'm glad we have this stand-your-ground law in Florida. And I think it will be a deterrent to people who feel they can come out justifiably and start swinging at you or pushing you around. Uh, I think it's, it's, uh, it's a real wake-up call. And if there's one or two unnecessary deaths along the way, well, to me, that's just part of the society that we live in. And it will say unto others that you don't have the right to touch me. You don't have the right to push me around. So that's that's my feeling on that. And I know that there are a lot of people who feel that bearing arms should not be an inherent right in our society, but it is. And there's a good reason for it. And it goes all the way back to colonial times when people felt that they were being abused by the British. And let's be honest, the British did have a history of getting a little heavy-handed with their colonies and their children. And so this was an integral part of our Constitution, the Second Amendment. And it's no accident that the Second Amendment is right after the First Amendment, since the First Amendment is what says we can express ourselves freely, practice our religion freely, uh, write in the press freely, congregate in an orderly fashion freely. And all these are, are necessary rights for our style of democracy. And you know, the founding fathers, they were they were pretty hard on this. They were pretty pretty definite about their belief in the right to bear arms. We've got Ian in Clearwater. Ian, good morning. Hey, Ian. I just wanna yeah, yes, Ian at any rate. I just want to compliment you because you presented the staying your ground thing really clear and simple without you went right down the middle just the facts, ma'am. I support staying your ground. However, you articulated it about Zimmerman and about this Draco. You know, they kinda exacerbated this situation. You know what I mean? Like you said, Trayvon he's, Zimmerman shouldn't have got out of the car. And Drake shouldn't have been there harassing that dude's old lady about parking in the handicapped space. I'm a taxi driver. I see all kinds of stupid stuff all day long. I'm a concealed weapons permit holder. doesn't give me the right to be the avenging angel to go out and pick fights with people. If anything, it's actually made me more mellow and more responsible. I think that that's true for a lot of people. And, you know, it's not like... Uh, I mean, Zimmerman, you could argue he was walking down a, a dark alley looking for you know, spoiling for a fight. But this other guy in the parking lot uh, that brought it up again, Draca, I mean, he wasn't walking down an alley at night. This was in the middle of the day. And, I live, you know, yeah. He, I, live, he could be I don't live too far from where that happened. So I'm very yeah. familiar with it. And, I mean, and you could be I, a pain in the butt and, and yeah. be a nudnik and pester somebody for parking in a handicapped spot, but that does not justify another person putting their hands on you. It's just uh, that's that simple. exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, I agree yeah. completely. Uh, yeah. But let, let's not, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying the Zimmerman or uh, Drake or Lily White. To me, those guys make I'll the rest there. of us look bad. I don't yeah. want to draw down on anybody, man. I look at my situation and I try to avoid conflict, you know. And one other thing you said that's very profound that kind of sums it up. You said, hey, and I'm paraphrasing, the law. It's not to make you a sin or a, a sinner or a sinless. It's to 
make sure that everybody else has quarter. That's what it is. Thank you so much, because that's what the law is there for. You are so right on. It's not to make us blameless and sinless or by the same thing, sinners. You know what I mean? And, and that's where people gotcha. get mixed up. The law yep. and morality is two different things, Doc. So uh, I really let me read like something here. This. Let, let me read something here. This is probably, this sounds like uh, Alexander Hamilton. Uh, and he was saying that the reason the states should have rights and should have the right to, people should have the right to bear arms and the right to form militia and so on and so forth. And the courts have even liberalized it more in the past 50 years. The citizen must rush tumultuously to arms without concert, without system, without resources if they don't have these rights and they don't have these organizations, except in their courage and despair. Now, the usurpers, clothed with the forms of legal authority and righteousness and, uh, you know, the Hillary Clintons of the world, can too often crush the opposition in its embryo and it's in its earliest form. And so we see this. I mean, this is exactly what is happening with the left towards the right. It's not the you know, right I, attacking the left physically. I don't know of, you know, I don't know of any right wing crazy who has shot up uh, the left. I, I know the guy, the guy drove his car through the crowd last year in, in North Carolina, but uh, that's the know, only episode know, I know. And you know that, that didn't involve a gun. You know that thing up there with Drake and McLaughlin up there in Clearwater? You know, the sad thing about it is, you know, McLaughlin was 29 years old, and I was 29 once, I'm 59 now, and I was a hothead when I was 29. And if somebody had been out there talking to my old lady, then, then I probably would have done the same thing. So I can understand where McLaughlin was coming from. Now, I'm not saying he was right. You're right. It doesn't give him the right to put hands on Drake. I agree. But I could understand the guy in the sense was like, you're talking sure. to my woman. I could get that. And, and you know, we got to think more, man. You know, it's got to yeah. get back to an armed society as a polite society, you know? Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of truth in that. Thanks for anyway, calling, Anyway, that's taking my call, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got to I gotta say now, guys and gals, that uh, I learned early on, I think I was 19 when I got into a fight uh, over a a girlfriend and I hit the guy over the head with a beer bottle. And by the time he hit the ground, I guess I'd hit him 15 or 20 times. I was extremely wiry and fast at that age. And I walked out of there and I said, you know what? I could have killed this guy and I'd be in prison for the rest of my life. So uh, most people learn that lesson earlier in life than I did. But I, I, I think that we have to stop and remind ourselves, all of us, that there's very few things in life worth getting in a fight over and very few things in life worth dying over in a violent act. It's, fighting over girlfriends or boyfriends or husbands and wives, whatever, physical fights, they're just not worth it. Now, does that mean that it doesn't happen and that it's, that it's an immoral act if you do it? Well, some people are still impulsive and, and is, Ian said uh, he was impulsive at 29. I got over it at 19 for the most part. I'm not going to tell you anymore. <laughs> I don't know if the statute of limitations is up yet or not. But I, I do think that there comes a time and a point in our lives where we have to say, we have to stop and we have to rationally think about what is it that I'm willing to fight for physically and not fight for. And I mean, fighting for verbally in a, in a wholesome debate or legally to defend our rights or in a lawsuit to recoup damages from an accident or whatever. Those are different kind of fights 
And those are all legitimate fights, but an illegitimate fight, and I don't mean an illegitimate fight in the sense that it's legally wrong, but it's illegitimate morally or situationally or transactionally between people. We have to define that. We have to say, is this a good thing to go out and get in a fist fight over some guy yelling at my girlfriend or my wife in the parking lot? Um, you know, the cops will tell you over and over again, just pick up your cell phone and call the cops. Do they show up? Well, you know, that's a whole nother story. It, it depends on which police force you're, you're dealing with. But, but if you say I'm calling the cops, if you don't back down and you have your cell phone in your hand and you're dialing and you have the cops on speed dial, 99% of the time, the guy's going to back off. He's going to quit yelling at your girlfriend or harassing your wife or beating on your car unless he's really drunk. And if he's really drunk, you don't get out and you deck him. I mean, you get out and you talk him down and you offer him a ride somewhere and you get him off the street before they get hurt. And as long as the guy's not a physical threat, what's the difference? You know, it's like this young guy at the Derby. I mean, I would have been happy to take him somewhere and drop him off and get him, get him out of that milieu, out of that, that hot spot, that corner where there were thousands of people crossing, restaurants uh, on the far side and cabs and cars going by and picking up and dropping off people. I mean, it would be a situation where he could easily be uh, uh, injured. And I think that my own morals and values demand that first, I do no harm. And secondly, that if I'm able to assist my fellow human being, and of course, most of us are not going to be able to do that. And so most of us don't have my training, but a lot of us can rationally talk people down or understand the situation and say, I'm going to call the police and you need to back off. And I don't want to fight. I don't mean you any harm, uh, but I'm going to defend myself by calling the police and do whatever else I have to do. But, you know, I don't want to fight with you, man. I just, I just want to get out of here. So there's things that we can do and ways that we can deal with volatile situations like this. Well, I'm going to grab a cup of Joe and you guys come right back and then I'll answer all your questions about what's going on in Turkey, because that's a big deal right now. That's pulling the whole European union economy down. I'm Dr. Bill. I'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm Jeremy House in Washington. President Trump says he may have to get involved personally because he says the FBI is refusing to cooperate with a public records request for former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe's text messages. Mr. Trump tweeted, what are they hiding? Aviation experts say one of the biggest potential perils for commercial air travel is airline or airport employees causing mayhem. Investigators are piecing together how the airline ground agent at SeaTac International Airport stole an empty commercial airplane. Officials say firefighters made significant progress in trying to tamp down a wildfire that threatened homes and has been raging for days south of Los Angeles. An Afghan official says security forces are battling the Taliban for the third straight day after the insurgents' massive attack in the key city of Ghazni. 
More details at srnnews.com. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical Home of Can Care, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments. So call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727-545-9674. The newest fall inspirations are here at Ulta Beauty, and they're hashtag trending. Like glossy lips to go with your pumpkin spice everything, autumn smoky eyes to pair with those new leather boots, and jewel-tone eyeshadow to sparkle in every fall selfie. All from your most loved brands, like Tarte, Anastasia Beverly Hills, and Morphe. Hurry in to shop all the beautiful fall possibilities. Only at Ulta Beauty. The possibilities are beautiful. Are your credit cards out of control? Owe more than $10,000? Are you paying one card and delaying payment on another? Here's what's really happening here. Your credit card companies are shaking your hand while stabbing you in the back. They want you overextended. Even worse, they hope you think you have to pay it all back. Credit card companies have finally been exposed. There are steps you can take to become debt-free and you don't have to pay the entire amount you owe. National Debt Relief has helped tens of thousands of people just like you reduce more than $1 billion of debt. They're regulated by both federal and state agencies. A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and have over 25,000 five-star reviews across accredited review sites. Do not take out a consolidation loan. Do not declare bankruptcy. Settle your debt for a mere fraction of what you owe. Call now, 800-948-4144. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. A mix of clouds and sunshine with a shower or a thunderstorm around. Today's high, 88. Partly cloudy with a shower or a thunderstorm tonight, low 75. A mix of clouds and sunshine with a shower or a thunderstorm tomorrow, high 88. Partly cloudy tomorrow night, low 75. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Jonathan Reed for AM860, The Answer. Dr. Bill, your radio MD, and that was a little bit of Lloyd Price's song, Stagger Lee. And the story of that is interesting. Uh, the teller of the story was on the street corner with his dog, walking his dog, and down in the alley were Stagger Lee and Billy, and they were shooting craps. That's a dice game where you roll the dice. And uh, Billy shot a seven, and Stagger Lee said, no, that was an eight. You're cheating me. And Staggerly went home and got his gun and came back and shot Billy. And Billy was begging him, don't shoot me. I had two little children and a very sickly wife. 
And so over a dice game, Billy was shot dead. And of course, Stagger Lee ended up going to jail, no doubt. And so that song fits in with what we were talking about earlier, which is the stand your ground, carrying guns, weapons in the cities, so on and so forth. And I think we had a good discussion on that. And I reiterated once again my feelings on the Florida Stand Your Ground law. But I want to I want to switch gears a little bit here. I've, we have gotten into a little tiff with the Turks. Erdogan is the president of Turkey, and he has essentially turned his presidency into a dictatorship. You say, how do these Mideastern and Western Asian leaders get themselves in positions of being such authoritarian dictators? Well, first of all, you have to remember that a lot of these folks trained under the Nazis and they were fascists. And a lot of them still believe in fascism. They believe in a one party state with a strong man in the, at the top and that private enterprise is allowed, but only insofar as it benefits the central government. And we see that in Russia, we see it in Turkey, we see it in, or we saw it in Egypt. Hopefully they're trying to change their situation. Syria, that's one of the big fights now, is whether or not Awad, or Assad rather, uh, will stay in power and continue to be the the dictatorial fascist that he is. And the Baathist Party that was formed after World War II in the Middle East was basically fascism. Yasser Arafat's brother was a fascist. Uh, Nasser, the father of modern Egypt, was a, a Nazi. And so we see all of this over and over again coming up. And in Turkey, we've got a man, Erdogan, who has effectively cornered all the power in the country, has become a, an essentially a dictator. And the Turks have struggled with this since the Ottoman Empire fell apart at the uh, end of the last century and around 1900, the 1910 to 1920 era, when World War I was raging and the Turks chose the wrong side and allied themselves with the Austro-Hungarians and the Germans because of their, their century-old fight with the Russians who abut them pretty much. Now that the Soviet Union has fallen apart, they've got a, a state between Russia and themselves. But still, they, they've been in contention for these areas for centuries. And, and so they picked the wrong side. The Ottoman Empire fell apart, and there was the introduction of a democracy. And as nascent as it was, it was a true attempt by the duly elected officials to secularize their culture and to end the Islamization of Turkey and Turkish politics. And this has gone back and forth over the past hundred years since the inception of their republic. And I've talked with a lot of Turks over the years who are very vehement in saying that they're secular and that they are a democracy and that the fact that they're Muslims has nothing to do with their government. Well, Erdogan is bringing that back and saying, no, we need to implement more Islamic law and Sharia. The Muslim courts had been uh, abandoned and had been dismantled by the democratic leaders in the 1930s and 40s in 
in Turkey and the uh, ranking of the population by their religious levels was also taken out of the system, out of the culture. And they were truly heading towards what I would call a secular government or a government that was a nation that was tolerant of all religions and did not have God or religion enter into the actual documents that define them as a state. And the legal documents that define us as a nation, of course, our Constitution and our Bill of Rights, and nowhere in the Constitution or the Bill of Rights is the word God used. There is no reference to God because the Constitution is a contract between the people and its government and between you and me as people, between each other, between states, and between all of us and our federal government. And that's what it's about. It's just a contract. It's what tells us how we can behave or not behave with each other and what rights we give to the government and what rights we retain for ourselves or for our states. And that's what it's about. It's not about God. It's not about Judeo-Christian values, although the founding fathers were obviously overwhelmingly Christian and they brought their morals and values into the writing of this document. But that doesn't mean that that's what the document's about. The document is about you and me and our interactions. So in Turkey, they had tried in the 20th century to achieve this state. And let's not forget that the the Turks had been pretty brutal after they uh, saw the dissolution of their Ottoman Empire. They had killed Christians and Armenians. Uh, basically a genocide. A million Armenians were killed by the Turks at the beginning of the last uh, century, the 20th century. And they have off and on persecuted non-Muslims, have marginalized them in society, and they have had ethnic fights with the Kurds. The Kurds sit on their eastern border. The Kurds... uh, occupy the areas of eastern Turkey and northern Iraq, a little bit of Syria, a little bit of Iran, that whole area there. And the Kurds have been ethnically distinct from the Arabs and the Turks and the Persians, all of whom see themselves as distinctly different from each other ethnically. The Kurds are more the pure collision of the Mongolian hordes coming across and and colliding, intersecting with the Arabs of that region. And the Kurds have been trying to form their own state for a long time. And of course, they want a chunk of Turkey, and Turkey's not about to give that up. And Iraq did not want to give that up. And so the Kurds have been a semi-autonomous state in Iraq for decades, and persecuted, by the way, by the Iraqis, and also persecuted by the Kurds. And now some a small... Per- portion of the Kurds have formed these left-wing uh, uh, terrorist groups to attack the Turks and the Turkish army and Turkish people and blow things up, just as the extremists in our country have been trying to do. So they've had their problems with terrorism from the Kurds, and the Kurds have had their problems with genocide by the Arabs and the Turks against them. So it's it's a tough situation. There's a lot of players involved, but what has happened most recently to bring the Turkey situation to the forefront is that the Turkish government had imprisoned 
a Christian minister who had been an American who had been a a, a, a missionary in Turkey for Christianity for 15 or 20 years. And all of a sudden they decided that he was involved in the plot to overthrow Erdogan, which occurred a few years ago. And Erdogan, actually before the, the, the plot even fully unfolded, already had names of tens of 10 or 20,000 people that were immediately arrested. Some of them were uh, executed. A lot were in, imprisoned. And there's a, uh, uh, an imam who's living in Pennsylvania who is a Turk. He's a Muslim from Turkey. And Erdogan blames him and calls him the ringleader of the attempted coup to overthrow Erdogan, the, the current president of Turkey. And so this was in part uh, payback for the United States saying, well, we're not going to extradite this guy to Turkey because you're not giving us sufficient reason. And they said, well, then we'll just lock up one of yours. Well, um, Jay Sekulow, who is a big man in the civil rights of people like ministers in countries like Turkey and in the civil rights of conservatives and has a radio show and has an organization, I believe it's called the uh, American Civil, American Center for Law and Justice. So it's a sort of a counterpart to the ACLU. And they do good work and they try to uncover uh, a, a lot of things that are hidden by governments and wrongdoings, such as the way that the FBI have behaved in this Russian investigation. And so they do good things. And so they went to bat for uh, this minister who had been imprisoned in Turkey, and they brought it to the attention of the president because Jay is friends with the president, and he has been advising the president on civil rights and matters that should be addressed by our government and have not been addressed in the past, at least not appropriately or with any vehemence. And so the president has said, you got to release this man. They did release the, the minister from, from jail, and he's in under house arrest in Turkey now, and the president's saying, oh, you got to send him home. And of course, there's other things that the Turks are doing. We've been at odds with the Turks over how to handle Syria and the Kurds. And so the president imposed a 50% tariff on steel and a 20 or 25% tariff on aluminum imports coming from Turkey. And Turkey relies upon the European Union and the United States to buy their goods. They manufacture metals, they manufacture uh, cloth goods, clothing, uh, they, they have a big industry there, or a big industries that have supported their country, and Erdogan and his, his ruling party have borrowed heavily from the Europeans in recent years for uh, infrastructure improvements and new buildings, and, and basically doing the same thing that Hitler did in the 1930s, which was to borrow money from the central banks of European nations and put it into public works and to finance companies like Volkswagen so they could build a car that would be universally popular like the Model T was in the United States at that time. And so Erdogan has invested heavily with other people's money, counting on the United States and the European Union to continue to do business with him, regardless of what he does inside his country. 
And by the way, they're members of NATO. I don't know if they're paying their, their fair share or not, but regardless of that, they are expected to behave as members of NATO and members of the United Nations in a fashion consistent with the agreements that they signed to become a member of the United Nations. And they were one of the founding members and to become a member of NATO. And why are they members of NATO? Because they have the same threat from Russia that uh, Northern and Western Europe have from the Russians and Eastern Europe too. So the president said, well, we're imposing these tariffs. Well, guess what? Their lira, which is their dollar, fell 25% this past week against the United States dollar. And the European Union's euro has fallen as well. Why? Because if Erdogan and his, comp his nation's companies can't export steel uh, cheaply to the United States, then they're going to end up with a glut of steel. They're not going to have hard cash coming in. They're not going to be able to make their payments to the central banks in Europe. And the European banks are going to struggle because a lot of banks are operating on very thin margins. And as I've explained before, economies are they are based on faith, on the faith, the belief that you'll pay me for the services I do for you. Well, if somebody says, well, you know what? You didn't involve me in these negotiations initially, that being the United States, and, and we're not involved in the negotiations between Turkey and the European central banks. So we're not involved in that. And not only did you not involve us, but you're not acting in accordance with the rules and regulations that you agreed to when you signed on as a member of NATO and when you signed on as a member of uh, the United Nations. And so we're imposing a tariff on you. And the Turks are saying, oh, this is, this is economic war. And the Russians, this is economic war. And the Iranians, the Persians, they're all yelling that the United States is a big meanie because we're, calling, we're taking them to task. We're calling them out for their wrongdoing. And their wrongdoing is not just against an American Christian minister, but against Armenians and Kurds and other Christians over the past century, and the, the sins are great. They're great. And we've been very tolerant, and we are also very appreciative of Turkey. Turkey has stood by us in a number of, of uh, combat situations, battles, has been strong with us against the Russians, and they have tried to morph into a secular government, and they have backpedaled here, and they're abusing their powers as leaders of a major country in that region. And so we're saying to them, wait a minute, you can't do that. And they say, yes, we can. <clears throat> and we say, not if you want to do business with us, you can't. And all of a sudden, this, uh, this, this house of loans and credit that has been built up between Turkey and the European Union is starting to crumble. Is Turkey going to default on their payments to the European Union? Well, if that potential exists, you can bet your blue booties that the European Union, the central banks are going to be devalued, and that will devalue the euro, that will make their bonds less valuable because bonds are rated on the stability uh, and the ability, as well as the stability of the institution to pay the bonds as promised, to pay the interest in the time period. So if you buy a bond in General Motors and they say, we're going to pay you 2%, 
dividend every year for 10 years on your $10,000 bond. And then at the end of 10 years, we're going to give you back your 10000 Well, if they can't make that 2% payment, or they get to the point, as they did in the 2009 crash, that GM can't pay their bondholders not only the interest, but the principal, because they're bankrupt, well, then those bonds fall in rating from AAA to junk, to C bonds. And the same thing's going to happen with the European banks who have lent money to the Turks, who are not behaving the way that we expect them to. And we have punished them with a tariff, which has damaged their economy, devalued their currency, and is putting pressure on the European Union and its financial institutions. And by the way, the euro has fallen against the dollar significantly. So if you are thinking about a vacation to Europe, this is the time to do it because the euro is weak. Your dollar will go further. If you were thinking about a vacation to Turkey, this is the time to do it because you will get a lot more for your money, your American dollar, than you would have three months ago. So if you're thinking about vacations and taking your dollars and putting them to use to travel, Europe, Turkey, the yuan, the Chinese currency has fallen. A lot of currencies around the world have fallen because of what our president is doing. And if you think that we don't have power, that we're not able to make a statement, that we're not able to punish people for their bad acts around the world, you better think again. You better think long and hard. And the left has to think about this. And if they don't understand it, if they think that socialism and communism is the way to go and that we should all treat each other equally throughout the world, how well has that worked out over the, over the millennia? You know, there's always going to be a bad actor like Hitler who would, if he could, garner all the power for himself and persecute those who he didn't like or didn't agree with. And Erdogan. There's always going to be guys like Erdogan and Assad and Abdul Nasser. I mean, all these guys are not new in history, but they're recent to us so that we feel and know them and understand them. And we forget that this is a recurrent theme throughout history. And there's only one way to deal with this, and that's to confront it. And you can confront it economically, as the president is doing. You can confront it militarily, as the president is threatening to do. You can confront it diplomatically, as we have been doing with our UN ambassador. And I'm all for it. And if I suffer a little bit, if I have to pay another dollar or two for uh, my refrigerator, it's made out of sheet metal steel or another 10 or $20, well, I'll pay it to make sure that the Turks release our minister, that they behave according to the agreements that they have made with the NATO power, with the NATO countries, and with the United Nations. And that's what we do, folks. That's what we do. That's what Americans do. We go around and we stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves, and we back those down who are trotting on those who can't stand up for themselves. And that's what we should do. And it's very self-serving because we're making America safe for us, for our democracy, by defending other peoples throughout the world.
That's how it works. That's how it works. Well, I've had a good time today and thank thank our good friend Ian. Ian or Ian. I I can't remember what I'm supposed to call him. Ian or Ian. Ian, that's what I thought. Ian. And we appreciate that. And I hope everybody enjoyed the show and I'll see you guys next week. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. Don't forget my website, drbillradiomd.com. I'm out of here. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.